As we come to Acts 2, we've been studying the book of Joel, if you're with us for the first time. Um, so in, in Joel 2, it's the basis for Peter's first sermon. And I'd like to read to you from that passage of scripture where Pentecost has happened. The church starts off in Acts chapter 1 where Luke says the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Um, he's continuing now through his people. Uh, they're gathering 120 people uh, of one mind and one accord, praying together in Acts 1. We go, we have Pentecost that happens in Acts 2, and it creates such a stir that three, over 3,000 people gather, and the church grows from 120 to 3,000 in one day, in a short period of time. But I want you to use your imagination, pretend like you are at this message because all these people gather they've heard what's going on all these people gather and peter a simple fisherman um blue collar guy uh, called by jesus stands up to preach his first sermon what a first message um, that he preaches here so i want you to use your imagination try and be there and, and watch peter and it says the 11 stood up with him they're all standing together and listen now to the word of God from Acts 2, 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even all my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always uh, before me, for he, uh, he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would, not, he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. 
This Jesus God raised up, and of all that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Spirit, from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the uh, house of Israel know for, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. What an amazing experience to be at that message. And 3,000 people respond. Uh, an unusual explosion, a, a powerful demonstration of the giving of the Spirit. And so how the day of judgment became the day of abundance. They expected to hear judgment. They heard this invitation to the Holy Spirit being poured out on, on them. And I want to say to you this morning that God wants to pour out his spirit on you. God is in the position of generously and graciously giving to any who call upon his name this experience of the flooding of your soul, your mind, your heart, your will with himself so that you know Jesus better. In our household, uh, our youngest daughter, Claire, who's 34 and has got a very important job working in an educational group in D.C., she's constantly saying, Dad, you got to listen to this podcast. you got to listen to this podcast. Now, Claire got me on to uh, Brene Brown. Uh, some of you know her, and she's an amazing teacher and leader and TED Talk on shame. If you haven't seen that one, wow, the one on vulnerability, wow. Uh, but she is an amazing communicator and teacher. And then a plug, she's got a great one-hour summary of all that she's doing on Netflix. If you haven't seen that, let me encourage you. See, you come to church and you get all this cultural help. You know how to, no. Uh, so, uh, but Brene around. if you've not discovered Brene, wow, you need to, to listen and learn from her because she is mining all that's going on in leadership in our country. She teaches Navy SEALs, Green Berets. She's called upon to teach leadership principles. And she's interviewing all these amazing people who are leaders of leaders. And so because I want to be a good leader and I want to train other people to be good leaders, women and men who are leading in their companies or in their schools, in their families, I want to learn from people who are great leaders. So. There's one uh, recently with a man named Doug Conant, who uh, has written a book called Blueprint. He's written other things. Um, but the gist of what he talks about in that podcast with Brene is, and he learned this from Brene, you have to learn to live in your own story. And he talks about how 
Much of his life, he was living in his family's expectations, their story, he was living in his own expectations of measuring up culturally. He was living in the story of his company that he worked for, the corporation. And so he was living for other people, to please other people, to win other people's approval. But he said, I had not learned how to live in my own story. Now, you can listen to that and benefit from it, and it is rich. But here's the question I want to ask for all of us today. Are we living in Jesus' story? Because if you really want to know yourself, you want to be true to who you really are, you're going to live in Jesus' story. And Jesus is inviting you into his heart, into his story, so that your story becomes his story. And it's still the greatest story ever told about Jesus. We see, see that in this passage. So I want to invite you this morning to think with me about understanding, catching a vision, a dream for living in Jesus' story for your life. What was Peter's story? <laughs> what an amazing story about Peter. We all love the character. We all love him because we can so identify how he shoots from the lip, how he gets himself in trouble. He says things he shouldn't say. He does goofy things. Um, and then we love about Peter is he has this tremendous failure in his story. Uh, he betrays Christ. Something he said, I'll never do that. And he did it. Uh, and one of the great reconciliation, if you want to know Jesus, read John 21, where Jesus finds Peter, cooks him breakfast. They go for a walk and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him three times, which... Peter had betrayed him three times, but Jesus switches the words up there for love. Do you love me? And so I want to ask you a question right now. If Jesus whispers to you, do you love me? What do you say? Now, if you're discouraged and defeated as I am so easily, I might not say anything. Or if I do, I'll be like Peter mumbling some kind of answer. But Jesus asks, and he asked and he asked, and Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And listen to what Jesus says to Peter. He doesn't say, Peter, you need a lot of counseling. You need a lot of therapy. You need a lot of work. <laughs> you know, you just, you know, you have screwed up royally. And for somebody like you, we have remedial classes. And you're going to keep going back through those classes. And then maybe I'll use you. <laughs> Uh, know what he says, and he would say to you, feed my sheep. Who are the people in your parameter of experience that God is calling you to feed them by the way you serve them, love them, listen to them? You know, some of my Reformed PCA brothers, they go crazy when I quote St. Francis on this, but most everybody here will say, it'll preach. St. Francis said, go and preach the gospel. And if you must, use words. Have you ever had the gospel preached to you by the way somebody loved you and served you? They didn't have to say anything because it was so of Jesus. It was like, wow. I had a good friend when I was a young pastor who would meet with me and he would love, to love me and he would listen to me. And you know, you never feel more loved than when someone listens to you. They use the language of, you know, another generation, but we still, they get you. <laughs> you never be, feel more loved than when someone listens to you and gets you. 
This brother, I mean, he, he said things to me, but the way he loved me, I experienced, I was fed by him. I was encouraged by him. And then you think about, Jesus says that to Peter, and then what happens next, okay? So if you could be in the life of Jesus here on earth, those 40 days from his resurrection to his exaltation, ascension, what is he doing for 40 days? It's Bible study. <laughs> he spends 40 days teaching his disciples that in all of the scripture, which was the Old Testament at that time, the law and the prophets, um, that they all point to him. They all reveal him. They show him. So you can imagine Peter sitting there. Now, again, they didn't take notes. They didn't have all the things that we do. But can you imagine what it was like when Jesus started teaching them Joel? pointing to himself in the book of Joel. And he probably didn't tell Peter, Peter, you're going to preach on this and there will be an exam. <laughs> so we're going to rehearse, we're going to practice this. But he probably just taught Peter this passage so well. Now, of the, there are about 19 messages in Acts. They're all summarized. Peter has nine of them, of those, or eight of those of the 19. This is the first one where Peter stands up but Peter had sat with the master and been taught this passage. So when the brother gets up, <laughs> he is bold. And the other brothers who sat with him and sat under the teaching of Jesus for 40 days, 40 days they were in the word. And it's encouragement to all of us that if you want to know Jesus better, you have to get in his book. You've got to find your way into groups with people where you can sit and open this up and read it and put your nose in it, put your heart into it. Let it be over you and begin to set you free. So when Peter stands up to preach, he's living in Jesus' story. This is his first message. And what he says is summarized in verse 36 of Joel, I mean of Joel, of Acts 2. Let me get back there real quick. So if you want to turn there, it's verse 36. Uh, some of you do PowerPoint presentations. Some of you do that for sales uh, purposes. And I have a good friend who's a very gifted salesman, and he'll be telling me about his sales presentations. And he'll go, Clyde, in my PowerPoint, this is the money slide. <laughs> this is the money slide. When I show them this slide, they go, how much? We want everything you got. But, you know, we, we'll buy whatever you want. Well, in verse 36, this is the money slide. This is the slide that's in, that'll take you right into what this is all about here today. Where Peter said, let all the house of Israel therefore certain, uh, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let all the house of Israel, let everyone who's in this all flesh category know that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, and we're here today to believe that because Jesus loved us enough to open that door through the cross so that we would know he's the Lord and of our story. When you think about um, living in Jesus' story, if you want to live in his story, Jesus has to be your Lord. You can't half-heartedly get in it. You can't sort of be in and out of it. You have to have this ongoing commitment. And when we talk about prophesying. We're talking about what Calvin says, that rare and simple knowledge 
that Jesus is Lord. So if you're prophesying through your life, you're living under the Lordship of Christ. Not as a burden, not as a weight, not as I've got to prove that I'm worthy of what Jesus did on the cross for me because he paid it all for you so that you would walk in freedom and you'd go, I get to live under the Lordship of Christ. So if Jesus is not Lord of all of our story, then we're in trouble. It's the old saying, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So if you're letting something slip into your life like they did in the book of Joel where they were worshiping other gods and things got really hard for them because God loved them enough to bring them back. And here's, here's really good news for you. If you feel like nobody cares about you, your heavenly father is jealous for you. He yearns for, your, for you and the Holy Spirit that's in him. God is jealous for us. And he loves us enough that when we stray, we wander away, we have bad theology, false narratives about God, he wants to wake us up and set us free to walk in the truth that he is the Lord of all. And uh, again, I love the line from Tom Skinner, African-American evangelist that I heard back in the day when he'd say, Jesus hasn't come to take sides your life, he's come to take over. Is there a part of your story, part of who you are, where you know Jesus does not reign and rule in your life so that you walk in freedom? Or are you oppressed? Are you living a double life? Are you addicted to something that is chewing you up and spitting you out and you just can't shake it? There's help. <laughs> There's help. You don't have to live that way. And the miracle of Pentecost is this is that when the Holy Spirit works in you, and my mentor used to say, you'll never see a greater miracle than this, when a proud woman or a proud man humbles themselves and asks for help. God wants to help all of us to know the joy and the freedom of being humbled by him and loved by him and set free by him so that he becomes the Lord of our life and he becomes the anointed one, the Christ, the one who gives the Holy Spirit. Jesus in Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the brokenhearted and set the captive free. Again, when we get to live out the life that Jesus has for us, when we live his story and our story, we feel anointed. Now, that's not a word we usually use in Presbyterian circles, but it's a biblical word, and it's a word that should remind us, I have been anointed, as you have, to live out this good news in ways that people say, tell me what's going on. Why do you love me like this? Why would you forgive me like that? Why would you be kind to me? And then you get to prophesy and speak the words of it's because of Jesus and what he's done for me and the miracle of his grace. In Romans 5, uh, a lot of the work that I do with people is undoing false narratives of, uh, about God and bad theology. When most people are suffering, and some of you probably are intensely suffering right now, so I want to be very sensitive, uh, the bruise read, the flickering wick, Jesus is here to help me, to help you, to know that he's here to help you. But it's so hard to get healthy and whole if you don't believe God is who he is and Jesus is who he is. 
if your view of God is that he's critical, judgmental, he's angry with you, he's disappointed with you, if your view of Jesus is that he's too busy for me, he's got a lot of other things to do, but he, he has to be so discouraged that when I come to confession and I kneel here on Sunday morning, I'm sure Jesus is saying, there she goes again. <laughs> there he goes again, confessing the same stuff. What's wrong with you? Now, I'm making fun and I'm mocking, but emotionally, that's what it can feel like. That's what it can trap us in so that we get lost in our unbelief, our bad theology, our bad hermeneutics. We're just not, we just don't understand what's the role of suffering in our story. Now, Peter, who had suffered and would suffer again, but throughout the history of the church, here's the way Jesus shows up. Here's the way Jesus is going to show up in Cambridge. He's going to come through the way that you and I understand and interpret our suffering. So in Romans 5, there's a great uh, fulfillment of this passage. In Romans 5, we read this. This is verse 3 through 5, where Paul says, Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Not because of the suffering, but because of who Jesus is. Knowing this suffering produces endurance. Uh, Peterson translates that, Eugene Peterson, endurance for passionate patience. Now here's you know when the Holy Spirit's kicking in. I don't know if you're like me, but I get so impatient. I wanted it yesterday. God, why are you not you know, making me wait? Why are you uh, allowing these things to go on? But something beautiful happens when you and I develop passionate patience. And then it produces character. Because God did not save us to keep us from suffering. He saved us so that when we suffer, we become more like Jesus. Produces the character of Christ in us. Uh, I have three adult children. What's my vision for my children? That they will know Jesus. But God's vision in Romans 8, 29 is, is that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus. God's vision for you is to conform you into the character of his son. And he's going to use suffering so that we learn to trust him the way Jesus did through what he suffered. That Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And then notice this part. This is so good. And this will really help you today. When we think about how does, we're going Pentecost today, how does it apply? How does it work? It says it produces hope, that character of Christ in us. And it does not put us to shame. It breaks the power of our shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. That's the same word that the Holy Spirit is being poured out through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That as you and I begin to understand the suffering that we all represent here today, can we rejoice in our suffering? Because Jesus has ascended, that he's praying for us. When Stephen was being stoned, he looked into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And it gave Stephen such courage. And for some of you, through the hardship of what you're going through, can you see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. Wow, that will help you. That will change you. It'll give you patience and character and hope. It will help you so much when you realize this is who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And then uh, just to see how the Holy Spirit's poured into our life. So I'm going to 
I'm going to close here by just telling you a story I've had the privilege. I've been a pastor for 40 years, um, and I've seen God pour out his spirit in people's lives in ways that, you know, it's just staggering. It is, you know, our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing our God cannot do. So when Rick Downs and I were starting Redeemer Church in Winston-Salem in 1982 through 90 when we were together, God brought to us this wonderful young man and his family. And this guy had been a star football player at Wake Forest. And uh, he's an amazing guy and an attorney uh, who was climbing the ladder uh, in the legal world. Um, and he got transferred to Raleigh, which is about 90 miles uh, east of us but John contracted cancer. So he's in his early 30s, uh, has three little girls, beautiful wife, loved his, his daughters, baptized them as we did with Teddy this morning. But John got cancer and he got really sick. Now one of the things that he and Patty did was they memorized together Romans 5, 1 through 5 that you see here. They memorized it and for the month leading up to his death, they said that passage to each other every day. And so I would encourage you, there's one thing to think about is memorize Romans 5, 1 through 5. If you're really in the depth of Sheol with your struggle, with your problems, you're in the depth of despair. Uh, if you're dreading uh, going to sleep tonight, then Romans 5, 1 through 5 will open heaven to you. So they memorized it together. They said it together. I went to see John at Duke Hospital. He was really sick. And uh, I went in, as, as all of you know, when you go to visit somebody who's dying, you go, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? And uh, you just show up. And John was in the bed and he looked at me, he said, hey Clyde, last night I got so sick and I was throwing up and I barely got out of bed, made it into the toilet. I threw up and as I came out of the bathroom door, he said, I put my hands up like that to hold myself from falling. And he said, as soon as I did, I had this picture of Jesus hanging on the cross for me. And I was moved to tears. Thank you, Jesus. So I get the phone call with a good friend, Perry Bartell, to doctor, he, a friend of mine. We drive to Raleigh because John is going to die. I'm with him and I've watched people die well. I've watched people die badly, but this was one of the most glorious homecomings that I've ever been a part of. So John, who was probably 250, 260, he was a nose tackle, and he was just this big beast, handsome guy. He's down to about 140 pounds. He's, on, he's got a diaper on. He's gone, and he's just he's gasping. He's gurgling. You know he's close. And so Perry says to me, he said, I'm going to go get Patty. And so I said, to, um, I said to John, what do you need, John? And the last word he whispered was scripture. He said, scripture, I need scripture. So I started reading the Bible to him, not knowing that what he was saying, I need to hear Romans 5, 1 through 5. So it's hard for me to ever read this passage, look at this passage. So here comes, you know, here comes Patty. She sits down and she looks at John and she says to John, John, you are a beautiful man. Now at this point, he was ugly. It was awful. I mean, he looked grotesque. He was so, oh, it's awful. She said, you're a beautiful man. I love you. I release you to go. And uh, I'll bring the girls with me. And then she quotes Romans 5, 1 through 5. 
So as she's saying in tears that passage, it gets to verse 3, we rejoice in our suffering because it produces endurance and character and hope. And that hope does not put us to shame because he's pouring out his Holy Spirit into our hearts. Oh, my friend, it was like Pentecost. It was like, oh, my goodness, what a privilege to be there as I watched my friend John Bryce pass from this world to the next. So I want to encourage you today that what we see here, what we're experiencing here is that real. It's real for us. So to back up, Jesus rejoiced, not because of the suffering that he would go through, but he rejoiced because he knew the joy that was set before him, that you would come to his table here today and feast. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful today for the hope of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. Help us to believe Jesus, for we need your help. Amen.